0: contributes to an individual's physical and mental well-being and expresses one's cultural identity through preparation, sharing and consumption. Food is the great unifier that connects us across cultures and generations. Culture is influenced by food through various ways such as the physical location, the history, tradition, customs, values and who you cook with and for. This episode is dedicated to food, food that is different from the food traditionally grown, harvested, prepared, and enjoyed in our region. Starting out today with Beth and Roseanne, and I'd like to hand it over to you two ladies and tell me your names and your cultural background or your culture of origin.
1: Hi, I'm Beth, and I am the program manager of United We Eat, which is a project of Soft Landing Missoula, and I am from the United States, um, but I would say that having grown up in Germany and Syria and then lived later in Palestine as a young adult, those places really
2: influenced me and who I am in lots of ways.
0: Wonderful. Thank you, Beth, for sharing.
2: Uh, and I am Rosanne Uh I'm from Syria. I'm a assistant kitchen manager. Uh, I grew up in Syria. And after that, I moved to Egypt for seven and a half years. And after that, I came to here, to America.
0: Wonderful. Thanks. Well, thank you, Rosanne, for sharing. <laughs> How did you get interested in cooking? And who or what influenced you?
2: Uh, i interested to cook because my mom, she... She learned me to cook more with her. And I used to cook with her at her kitchen. yeah, my mom, she's <laughs> learned me a lot about the food and,
0: and i'm 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 going out on the limb here, but i I would probably um bet that most mothers have influenced their children in cooking or 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 got them started in this uh, being in the kitchen with your with your parents, and probably specifically with a mother or a grandmother, is just something that for many people is, is I think, how it, how it all sort of started.
1: And Roseanne's mom, Muna, is a very talented chef. She's one of the chefs for our program, United oh, We Eat, as okay. well. And she ran a restaurant in, in Egypt, in Cairo, for oh, wow. years. So Roseanne has professional experience as well.
0: Right. Wonderful. Um, what is the meaning of food? In your culture and I'm thinking here Roseanne food is can have different purposes the most important one is to nourish a body so it functions yes. but it can have other meanings too and that's what I'm so interested in and is for you yeah. and in your culture are there different important parts that are connected to food other than filling your tummy and functioning <laughs> as, as a human being.
2: Yeah, food is love and share with family. And like when we are cooked all together, that's make more fun, more love. And it's better because it's like another test for the food.
0: So the idea of uh, the best meal is the one that you enjoy with others and, and being in a family setting.
1: Yeah. And it's funny, you know, I grew up in Syria from first to third grade. And when we came back to the U.S., my family would continue the traditions that we learned in Syria and invite people over because it felt like in Syria, hospitality and guests was such an important part of the culture. And, you know, we'd make coffee and make them feel special and push more food on them in the ways that we learned in Syria. And I think um, that was a really special part of my growing up, too.
0: And I think this is so important what you just said, Beth, that when somebody has an, uh, an experience that is outside of one's cultural setting, it's not only the experience itself that shapes one, but I think it's also what you learn and what you love and what you decide to actually embed in your own culture when you come back and return to your home culture. I think it's this cultural... Um, this this cultural adaptation in a way that takes place. And all of a sudden, people bring something back from uh, the place they visited and say, this was so important to me that I decided this shouldn't stop once I left the place, but it should continue. And so I embedded it in my own culture and continue doing it. I think that's such a neat experience. And in a way... Um, Shows that this can continue. It's not limited to a place, but it can actually continue because you want it to continue. What excites you about food? Is it where it comes from? Is it what it tastes like? Is it what you can do with it? What excites you about food?
2: Uh, when I try the new food for from like another countries. The first bite for me, it's like, make me travel to this country and feel all the spices. Yeah.
0: The spices, I'm sure, are a big part of this. But But what does food preparation as a whole mean to you? As in, how do you feel when you cook? Is there a certain mood you either have to be in in order to cook or that gets you in a certain mood as you cook?
2: Um it's like a different a little bit because like every single chef it's different and we have like we try to to do at the kitchen also like it's the same for her, for her countries like Eritrean we do some music and some and some spices there just for Eritrean and it's make everything like we are there. Yeah. Yeah. um,
1: Roseanne's talking about how we kind of set the scene in the kitchen at United We Eat. Um, We cook in a commercial kitchen at the First United Methodist Church, which is down in the basement, and it feels like a church kitchen. But um, like she said, when we have an um, Eritrean chef who comes, we ask them what music they like, and we put their music on. We ask them, how do you say hello in your language? And we write it on a whiteboard so all our volunteers and then the people who come and pick up their food can say hello or thank you in Eritrean. Um, you know, we the kitchen is full of the smell of Burberry, which is a really unique spice and makes Eritrean food so tasty. Um, you know, I think that's one of the really important parts of United We Eat, trying to Give the chefs a little taste of home and, you know, shift some of the power imbalances of, you know, having people come and pick up their food and saying, hello, um, and then feeling awkward because they don't know the language and feeling like they're trying something new. And it's it's an interesting dynamic that we try to create um, and, and share with the community. So. And
0: here I thought listening to Italian music when I eat a pizza was <laughs> Unusual, but I'm, I'm I'm happy to hear that this is actually part of your setting an entire cultural stage around the food preparation or or the food consumption, which I agree is making this a wholesome experience and not just um, one aspect of it. But uh, the the language, um, music in the background, anything that contributes to sharing the flair or um, the atmosphere of a place Um, that makes a lot of sense
1: yeah we have one chef omar from guinea who plays drums during the entire pickup and it's so loud and so fun (laughs) Right, (laughs) and people can't hear anything but it's amazing and people really enjoy that too and i
0: think stimulating um, different senses as you have an experience, if that is visual or audio or taste or, you know, kinesthetic. I mean, I think all of those in a combination make for such a richer, lasting impression mm-hmm. than when you just eat something and uh, and you move on and that's it. I'm always thinking of, you know, cultural immersion and the difference uh, when somebody, for example, learns a language. And I think it's so difficult to do this in one's own culture because you're learning it in a classroom and your mind has just started to, you know, deal with the other language and you go out and you run into your first friend and you switch to English and, and everything stops. And so um, creating an environment where where it doesn't stop right away, but where there is more to it, where there is an entire atmosphere created that you're not just eating the food from the country, but you're also enjoying um, a little bit of language education and learning how to say hello and uh, this tastes wonderful or, you know, some, some simple sentences that go uh, around a, a meal preparation or a meal enjoyment. And then to have music in the background or somebody play music makes this something that isn't necessarily beginning and ending, but it's something that carries over. So I'm I'm sure that that's one big uh, reason for your program having the success that it has. It's that it's not just food, but there is so much more that comes with it.
1: Yeah, and we've heard from customers over the last year and a half that they've really enjoyed, you know, eating the food, and then it sparks curiosity in them. They say, well, why do people eat this particular spice? And then they do some research, and then they use it as an educational tool for their children. Um, and I think, especially in the times of pandemic where we don't travel much, right. this is a way to really experience the world and um, evoke that wonder that a lot of us kind of long for.
0: right. Now you really got me interested, uh, Beth and Roseanne, about the United We Eat program. When did it start and how does it exactly work?
1: Yeah, so our popular take-home program, United We Eat at Home, started in 2019 with a pilot project that lasted about 14 weeks, and we found that it was very popular. People were very eager for this food, and that was even before the pandemic. Um, And then in 2020, myself and our kitchen manager were brought on to really grow the program, and we started right back up again, and it's Really taken off since then. Um, we've been going ever since, and we hired Roseanne on as kitchen assistant manager in uh, June of 2021, and she's been an indispensable part of the program ever since. Um, and really, United We Eat is our overarching food program. So under that, we have United We Eat at Home, and it's a weekly food program where people order food on Thursday mornings at 9 a.m. sharp, and if they don't order them within a half an hour, we sell out of the 150 meals that we have. Wow. Um, there's just such high demand, and people are so supportive of our program and that our is chefs. amazing. Yeah, and it's a supplemental food program, so our goals are to provide supplemental income for our chefs and their families, um, and in 2021, we put over $40,000 of money back into the pockets of our 26 chefs. So that's pretty incredible. And that's that's due to the Missoula community um, just loving the food and loving to welcome our newest neighbors. We also do four times a year cookie sales, um, and one is coming up in February for Valentine's Day. So if people are interested, do go to our website, unitedweeatmontana.org. We do virtual cooking classes with a different chef. We did about seven last year. And it's a really fun way for people to cook out of the comfort of their kitchens and learn how to create a meal um, that's prepared by one of our chefs and uh, have an amazing dish at the end of it to eat. Um, And we are still kind of planning and seeing where we go from here. So the sky's the limit. We're looking forward to the coming year and seeing what emerges.
0: (laughs) Wonderful. Um, I have a question in regard to the authentic ingredients in your recipes and um, which ingredients are those and can those ingredients be substituted and why or why not? Um, if you could tell yeah. us a little bit about that.
1: It's a great question. Um, we do have sometimes long internet searches for specific ingredients like cassava leaves for some of our Congolese chefs. Um, we usually you know, end up buying Burberry spices from our chefs who... Um, you know, have their own purveyor and have very particular tastes of what kind and brand they want to use. Um, those are the Eritrean chefs. You know, others are a little bit more flexible. I think you mentioned flatbread when we were chatting earlier, um, and we were—that's been a—that's been an issue too because you know, really good flatbread is such an essential part of Middle Eastern yeah. cuisines, and it's. Really hard to find it here. For a while, we purchased it from Anne of Anne's Foods. And she and her family sadly moved to Virginia, which is devastating, both both because we love Anne and because we love her bread. So now we're kind of in a bread scramble. But, (laughs) um, (laughs) you know, so encouraging possibly some of our chefs to take on the tandoor oven and um, start their own bread business, but in the meantime, ordering it from out of state, sadly. So, yeah, you know, it is important to have these really particular ingredients that make a dish what it is. Um,
0: And I'm glad to hear this. Uh, It reminded me of an experience that I had um, probably 25 years ago where I was invited to a German dinner, and it was made clear to me in the beginning that the recipe was German, but that nobody had the original German spices, and they said, Well, we just substituted them with some things that we thought were close. And, um, needless to say, this was um, an interesting experience and not really uh, German food or even close to the German food that I was used to growing up, because at home, my mother and grandmother cooked with the ingredients and the spices that were supposed to be in those recipes. And you can't just take them out and say, oh, you know, we'll replace ginger, and uh, why don't we use pepper? And, <laughs> uh, and and oh, cardamom, we can probably replace that and put cinnamon in it. Um, that doesn't work. And so I'm, I'm so glad to hear that you are not going the easy route, and you're saying, oh, yeah, we can substitute this with something, but that you're actually looking to have authentic ingredients and that you're getting your products from places where you know that these are um, the right the right things you need for the recipes to uh, to taste the way they're supposed to taste
1: yeah it's funny you mentioned that German dinner because after I returned from having lived in Palestine for two and a half years as a young adult I lived in Missoula Montana and I you know out of kind of homesickness for this place that I'd lived, tried to recreate some of the meals, the matlube, the upside down, beautiful pot of rice. And you can imagine how that went as a, you know, inexperienced cook trying to create this dish that is a heritage for people. Um, But it never tasted quite the same. And, you know, I didn't know how to make it right. And the vegetables were different. And Roseanne, I'm curious, you know, you've lived here for a year and a half now. Have you found that food tastes different here in America than it does in Syria or Egypt? Uh,
2: Yes. (laughs) Uh, And also, like, the zucchini, it's so different. And, like, more spices also, it's so different. And some vegetable, (laughs) yeah.
0: What are some of the spices, Roseanne, that you remember um, growing up? that as soon as you taste them on your tongue, you are immediately thinking of your childhood. What what are some of those that do that?
2: Um, we have in Arab country like seven spices. It's a favorite for us. Like in every meal, we have to put seven spices. Aha. Yes. <laughs>
1: And I think every Arab country has a slightly, and even maybe more specific than country, but down to the village, even would have a different blend of those seven spices. But they include things like pepper and cumin and um, cardamom. cardamom, cinnamon, cinnamon, and they're all mixed together in this special blend, and it's really delicious. Yeah,
0: <laughs> that would have been my next question. What are some of those seven? So think. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that. Um do you have traditional cooking techniques that you incorporate in your food preparation that are different from the average pot and uh you know the average um soup ladle that you use?
1: yeah so for Congolese chefs, we make this um specific porridge called Ugali or fufu uh-huh. and we found that we needed to buy a special really long wooden spoon so that they could stir the ugali. It's this incredible workout. If anyone wants to really get an upper arm workout, come on a Nugali night, because we will put you to work. Um, We are a volunteer-run kitchen, and people stir this huge pot of very stiff cornmeal porridge, and um, it's not easy, especially if you're like Rita, one of our chefs who is um, you know, a little shorter, and so she has to stand up on a (laughs) stepladder. It's quite an amazing thing to see. Um, And then for some of our Eritrean chefs, we We have these special kind of crepe pans, it looks like. Um, They're griddles called magogos, and they cook their amazing injera, the um, teff, spongy bread that is eaten with every single dish, Um, and then also the himbasha, the sweet celebration bread that we also eat. So two questions
0: I have, Beth. One is how long do you have to steer, And the second question is can you have first dips on the product when you're done steering as a reward?
1: Well, you need some carbs after that. <laughs> that's right. That, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, we try to make it to order so it's fresh and delicious for customers. Um, so usually our chef is stirring, it seems like, for two to three hours straight. So as you can imagine, she has some pretty amazing upper arms. <laughs> two
0: to three hours <laughs> stirring? We,
1: we try to give her some breaks, obviously, and we we take turns too. Wow. But.
0: Okay. Well, that is uh, uh, quite a process. I agree. Um about the recipes that you're using, are those passed on? Well, or I should probably rephrase this. How are the recipes passed on in your culture? Is it oral? Uh, Do people tell each other? Is it written down somewhere like our cookbooks that we have? Um, Do you learn by by viewing, by watching somebody, do you learn by doing it? How is that? Um, how is that done in in Syria?
2: Um, all like all mother they learn her daughter. Like my mom, she learning me ha- how I cook, and like this, like memory. Yeah, more memory.
0: So it's from memory and yes. by by watching, watching others do yes. it. So very little is written down.
2: Yeah, we don't write them because like we used to cook every day. And right. because that like maybe every week we will do the same dish. Right. Yeah, because that's just like watching and memory. Right. And yeah. tasting. And, and more tasting.
0: <laughs> sure, sure. Um, that I think that's great uh, when it works that way. The only fear I would have is that um, something could get lost over time because it isn't written down and it isn't somewhere where you could look it up. Uh, that's always my fear is, you know, people move away, they take their recipe with the, with them, and then you can't ask them because they're not there anymore. And, uh, and, and then the dish goes bye-bye because nobody remembers how to do it. Um, but I figured that, it's probably an, an oral tradition more so than it is here, where, you know, the the cookbook section in any bookstore is significant um, because people love cookbooks, and I sometimes think they, they they love to collect them, and I'm not really sure if they actually use them all that much. And I would be uh, in that category too. We probably have. 30-40 cookbooks at home, and I'm using two on a regular basis. The others are just sitting in a bookshelf. And if somebody uh, comes, I say, "Look, we have a pretty good cookbook selection, but we can't cook any of this. Uh, we, you know, we we have uh, two books that we cook out of." But um, I think there's probably uh, an advantage and disadvantage to to either. But it's nice that it is because that makes it more personal when you. When you learn from somebody by A, watching it, and by B, being told about the recipe, there's probably so much more that is communicated than just the ingredients and the process of it, because there is the cultural aspect and history, perhaps even.
1: Yeah, and it makes it a challenge for our program, too, to be working with all of these chefs who are incredibly talented cooks but don't have anything written down and often don't have um, English to share it with us. So what we've started doing is a series of taste tests. So any new chef who wants to cook with us comes in and we they bring a little sample of the different meals that they want to make with us and we try them and then we talk about the food and we say, Okay, so you need this, this, and this. Um, what other spices did you use? And sometimes we use pictures to sure. kind of figure it out. And sure. then we do end up writing down our recipes. So probably for the first time for many of these these meals, they're written down just so we could recreate them later because we don't want to lose that beautiful tradition either. But it can be hard to, you know, translate a meal that they've cooked for a family or, you know, at most a few people, um, to something that tastes good on a larger scale for right. 150 people.
0: And I think again a great example of cultural adoption where uh, you say we we haven't done it that way, but we we would like to start it so that we ourselves can create a memory bank of this that we can actually pass on, and it's not it's not all just. Oral, um, but we actually have something that we can hand over to the next person that, uh, you know, there's the next chef, or uh, if a community member is interested um, to say, here, this is, you know, how what the ingredients are and this is the process of it.
1: And we might be working on our own cookbook in a few years. So you can add that to your shelf, Udo. Oh, we will. The (laughs) the shelf is big
0: enough to (laughs) hold even more. um, So that's not a problem. And I promise at some point, I will cook through those uh, books. It's just, you know how it is. You just have your favorites and they're easy to make and, uh, you know, that's the books that you get out and then there are the other ones where you go, yeah, someday I'm going to open you and I'm going to look and and, uh, create a recipe from from that book. Speaking of um, food preparation and recipes, can you recall an especially memorable meal that was prepared um, in the United, we eat program, and what made it special? Um,
2: like all the meal, it's special for me because it was like a new test for me and new recipe and new everything. But the vegetarian food because it was like a lot of of onion and like stir at the on the stove for maybe five hours, and after that get. A beautiful sauce. Yeah, it's my favorite.
0: <laughs> Wonderful. Thanks for sharing, Roseanne. Sorry. Beth, how about you?
1: I was going to say something similar. Um, it's been really special for me since bringing Roseanne into the kitchen to watch her form relationships with other chefs. And in particular, she and one of our Eritrean chefs, Taka, who spent time in a Sudanese refugee camp and speaks Arabic Those two have really connected because they're able to communicate. And I just remember this one food pickup where Taka cooked and Roseanne was helping, and they were showing each other dance moves and (laughs) talking in Arabic together, very different Arabic, but they could understand. And Taka started calling you Rosie. and i just I just think it's really special <laughs> to watch these relationships form, too. And you know, that's a really big part of um, our program and and our goals. You know, we have these very quantifiable goals of we want to earn. Supplemental income for our chefs, but we also have this cultural bridge-building piece, and yes, we want to connect chefs with the larger Missoula community and the community with the food, but I think it's also really special to watch chefs develop relationships amongst themselves, too, and become friends, and, um, you know, it's hard to quantify those kind of things, but watching it happen is really special.
0: Right. Thank you uh, for sharing that. Roseanne, has your relationship to food changed over your lifetime from when you were a child and a teenager and now as an adult
2: Uh, yes sure because like when i was young like more food i can't eat it because i don't like it and sometimes i be like i don't like some spices and it's weird for me but when i start to to know more about the benefit for food or It's so good for me and for my body. And after that, I start to eat everything. And like now also, everything, it's changed in my life because I cook with like a different chef from the world. And that's make everything so change.
1: (laughs)
0: Sure. Thank you. My last question for the two of you is, is there anything else about you, your culinary talents, or your food? That we have not talked about, but you think it's relevant for our listeners to know.
1: I mean, I think it's kind of special that you had so much time. So, Roseanne was also a law student in Egypt before she oh. um, yeah. came oh, wow. here. Wow. So, yeah. you know, she's taking very a detour. Smart. She's very smart. As, well as talented. Yep, she's taking a detour into the kitchen for a while. When we're grateful to have her, but. Um, you know, I think it's special that you were able to work in your mom's kitchen in Cairo, and then you're gifting us with your culinary ability, abilities, too. Um, I don't know if there's, like, kind of a, a through line or something that you can talk about with that, coming from Egypt to here and cooking or um, or the United We Eat program. Anything you'd like to say about that?
2: Um, I want to say thank you so much. and. Uh, food, it make us happy and thank you to share with us the food and make us to do food with you and try our food also and traveling with us for all countries with all the chef we have.
0: Wonderful. Thank Roseanne, you. thank you so much. I think the happiness and love that is connected to food and food experiences came out of the of your last statement and I... Thank you for being part of the podcast and, and you, Beth, for coming Thanks. over and doing that together. That was really, really special. Thank you.
1: Yeah, thank you, Udo. And it's been so fun to talk about food on this podcast today. Um, you know, Soft Landing Missoula is an organization dedicated to helping Missoula be a more welcoming place where refugees and immigrants can thrive and um, live their best lives. And it's not hard to do because Missoula is amazing and people are so supportive and want to make our newest neighbors feel welcome. Um, And you know, it's such a hard problem to have to have these meals sell out week after week and have people complain that they want to support us, but um, they can't get to the food fast enough. So you know, if you are looking to get involved and um, support us in some way, there are lots of different ways to do that. Um, we are a volunteer-run program. We, if you are interested in chopping onions, like Roseanne said, we have a lot of onions to chop. Um, or helping to, you know, meet chefs and learn some of their cooking secrets, come on over. We'd love to have you. You know, if you are really determined to try this food, I recommend setting an alarm at 9 a.m. on Thursdays. We start back up in March. Um, So just make sure you order within the first few minutes after 9 a.m. and you'll probably be able to get some food. Um, And then... Yeah, try ordering cookies for us from us in February. We'll be selling those. And just go to our website, unitedweeatmontana.org, and you will be able to find um, upcoming events and news. So thank you again to everyone. And sahtein um, as the um, people of the Middle East say, which means bon appetit.
0: Many thanks to all our guests today for sharing their stories, their culture, and their passion about international cuisine. To the listeners near and far, please join me again next month for a new episode of International Voices. As always, thank you for listening. Those of you who are regularly tuning in to International Voices know, being of German descent, I usually end with a German farewell schön fürs Zuhören. International Voices is brought to you by Global and Cultural Affairs of Arts Missoula and The Trail 1033. This and previous International Voices podcasts can be found at artsmissoula.org and the trail 1033.com.